I'll ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a Bible underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you, one of the chairs you're sitting close to. Uh, and you can stand with me if you would in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And in those few Bibles I referenced, the Scripture's on page 965. It should be. Page 965. Matthew chapter 7. Now I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye while there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. For we hear the word preached, let's pray again. Our Father, I thank You again for Your Word. Your Word is life, it's truth. And Father, we want to acknowledge the grace that we've been given to hear this word preached today. We think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are persecuted or in various ways. Lord, we ask that uh, You would sustain them and that You would be glorified in the midst of their persecution. But we thank You for the freedoms that we currently enjoy here to meet openly and publicly to hear the Word of God and this Gospel preached. We ask now that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts so that this truth this truth awakens affections in us or grants new affections to us Lord, that Your Spirit would do that through Your Word that we would understand what it means to judge and not to judge as we humbly walk before the judge of all the earth teach us Your ways O God it's in Jesus name I pray Amen. You can be seated. In years 529 to 522 BC, there was a shrewd king named Cambyses who reigned. And there was a judge, a wicked judge who reigned named Sismanes. And I don't know if I've said either of those names directly, but either way, this shrewd king, this wicked judge came to... Uh, Conflict when Sismenes, the wicked judge, accepted a bribe. The judge's responsibility is to carry out justice, but he accepted a bribe, and since he accepted this bribe, then he rendered an unjust verdict. When the king Cambyses found out about this, he was very angry at the shrewd, wicked judge Sismenes. And so he took Sismenes and he slit his throat. And after he slit his throat, Sismenes often would sit upon a chair to do his judging, a special chair. Maybe some of you have heard the story before. After Sismenes' throat was slit, King, King Cambyses had his skin filleted off. And all his skin was used to uh, reupholster the judge's chair. 
And then the king had the judge Sisthenes' son appointed as the new judge. His name was Onatus. And Onatus had to sit on that same chair that was now upholstered with the skin of his father. To remind him that when he rendered judgment in his rightful place of judgment, he should judge rightly. And when we look at the passage of Scripture here in Judges chapter 1, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, about judging, when he says, Judge not that you be not judged, and when he goes on to say, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That latter portion of those two verses certainly is something Onatus should remember. For with the judgment you meet out, it will be measured back to you, it will be measured to you again. This means that God will be the one who would judge you. Certainly if we judge others, others will judge us back. But this is talking about the judgment of God. It's the weight of agreement among commentators. That it is God who will judge us with that same kind of judgment. So if a judge renders a graceless judgment towards someone, God will always do a right judgment, first of all. Amen? But if a judge renders a graceless judgment, that person will receive judgment without grace. So the warning to us this morning is if we're the kind of person who renders judgments from people, we talk to people and we judge them wrongly and ungraciously and unlovingly, then we can expect that on judgment day from God. Because the one who is in the kingdom of God does not judge people wrongly. They strive not to. Now I say wrongly because there is a right kind of judgment. Here's two questions for us as we dive into the passage of Scripture. Do Christians ever have a rightful place of judgment? And the answer is yes. Believers in Jesus Christ do have a right place to judge others. So we have to qualify when we look at the rest of the Scripture. It says, judge not that you be not judged. But we have to qualify that by looking at what other things Jesus said in other, in other passages of Scripture as well in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Christians do have a rightful place to judge. We see it in the passage of the Scripture itself. If you look at verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before swine. So some of you may notice the title of the sermon this morning in your bulletin. Judging brothers, pigs, and dogs. How do we know who the dogs and pigs are? I mean... Some people are dogs and pigs in the eyes of God. And the Bible says don't throw your pearls in front of them. And we'll get to that verse this morning. So that means we're not supposed to throw those pearls, whatever that is. And we have to be able to identify dogs and pigs in the world. People that are dogs and pigs in the eyes of God. We have to make a judgment about them, don't we? If you look at verse 20 of chapter 7, the same chapter, the same sermon, Jesus talks about false teachers, false prophets, and knowing them by their fruits. You have to make a judgment upon them. Now we know this passage of Scripture is among those who don't know the Lord Jesus but know some Scripture. This has to be the lost person's favorite verse. Don't judge me. The Bible says not to judge. You're judging me. And sometimes they rightfully would go to that verse because of some of the hypocritical judgments that we have. But this verse does not rule out all judging as we've already seen, as I've already mentioned. Sometimes Christians ourselves will say, who are we to judge? I'm no better than anybody else. Who are we to judge? Who am I to judge? You know, that's a humble thing to say. 
But in fact, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. What have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside, is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Who am I to judge? Well, one thing we need to understand, believers, is believers are to judge one another inside the church. It says it right in that verse I just read. This means that we are to lovingly discipline one another. Judging doesn't mean to lovingly judge one another. It doesn't mean to gossip about one another's problems. Often that's what this opens us up to. Gossip and slander about what one another is doing. But when it talks about judging within the church, it's saying, you know, if somebody's in open, unconfessed sin and the church knows about it, the church is not close a blind eye to it. So if somebody's a member of the church and they never come to the church and the Bible says don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, that person's an open, public, unrepentant sin and the church is to judge that. And there's coming a time in our church family and our deacons have talked about this and we're going to preach more about this make sure you understand it, but there's coming a time in our church family when we will address that as a church family of unrepentant church members who have covenant as this part of this church family, but they don't come to church. That's wrong and it's sinful and we must lovingly go to them and plead with them, please come back. Please be in the back. But we're not saying you're not a Christian, but you're acting as if you're not a Christian by, your, by just your church attendance. And then there's other sins as well. So yes, we are to judge those within the church. We're even to judge those outside the church because there are some who are dogs and pigs as we see in verse 6. We have to make a judgment and say, that sin is wrong and we love you and we want to tell you about that. So do Christians have a rightful place of judgment? Yes. Do Christians ever judge wrongly? Sadly, yes. Absolutely, we do. A closer examination of this passage of Scripture reveals that what Jesus is getting at here is a critical spirit, an overly critical spirit. It's not we're not think critically about our own sins, as the text says here, and the sins of others, but an overly critical spirit. Yesterday I took my kids fishing and we had some night crawlers left over from the day before where I'd taken them fishing. They'd been in the truck all night long. Bacon. And so when we got to go fishing yesterday, the flies were buzzing over and gnats were buzzing over those dead night crawlers. That's how we are sometimes when it comes to being critical of other people. We're like flies just waiting for some ugly pus to eat out of somebody's wounds so we can buzz over and gossip about it and maybe point it out to them. We have an overly critical spirit. We're like, we're like flies. We're just waiting to lay maggots in the pus of somebody's womb. Now, I know that's gross, but that's, that's how gross this sin is in the eyes of God. Jesus says don't do it. He says don't, don't be overly critical of people. Go to them and talk to them about their sin. Here you've got sin in your own life. So that's where we're headed in the passage of Scripture. John chapter 7, verse 24 clarifies that we are to judge. We're to do it the right way. John chapter 7, verse 24 says this Do not judge by appearances. That would be unjust, right? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You see that? Judge, but with right judgment. So here's the main thrust of the passage of Scripture Avoid a critical spirit. This is the main point. Avoid a critical spirit and judge others the right way. 
avoid a critical spirit to what Jesus is getting at and judge others the right way. Jesus says, do some things in this passage of Scripture. Look what He says in verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So He doesn't say, just take the log out of your eye. He says, then you'll be ready to make that judgment. So there's a judgment to take place at times. A, a criticism. It's not a judgment saying you're the final judge determining whether somebody goes to heaven or hell or not. You know that, right? We, don't, we can't see the person's heart. But we could go to someone who's in sin, whether it's a brother of Christ or not, and say, look, I love you. I care about you. But the way, the way you're talking, the way you're living, it's incompatible with what a Christian is. I'm concerned for your soul. And they might come right back and say, well, who are you? you think, what are you telling me? You think you're better than me? You think I'm going to hell? You say, brother, listen, I, I can't say whether you're going to hell or not. I'm not the final judge for that. But I'm concerned because... You're acting like somebody that's not on their way to heaven. That's all I know. May this be a means of grace, this conversation, so that you will fall upon your knees and repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's kind of this tension, this balancing, isn't there, with this judging and being a critic of others in a loving way as Scripture's called us to. J.C. Ryle, his book Holiness, I think you should read it. He says this, that we should be quick to see grace. Let us be more quick to see grace and more slow to see imperfections. Let us be quick to see grace and more slow to see imperfections. Well, often we're not like that. We're the opposite. We rush to a judgment upon others and we go and maybe we go and talk to them about something and we don't have all the facts or we've not really prayed or we've not taken evaluation of our life. So how can we avoid a rush to judgment? Number one, First, take a look at yourself. Isn't that what Jesus says in these verses? If you look at your Bible, verse 3 through 5, isn't that the thrust of it? First, take a look at yourself. There's a story in the Old Testament about King David. If you remember the story of King David, we, we know about he had many sins, but one of his uh, most infamous sins was his sin where he saw a woman who was not his wife and took her and, and, had, and committed adultery with her and had her husband murdered. Her name was Bathsheba. The husband's name was Uriah. And later, a prophet came to David and said, David, let me tell you this parable, this story. There's a story about a man who was a poor man. He didn't have anything, but he had one little ewe lamb. Just one little precious lamb. But there was a wealthy person who lived in the land who had all that he needed, all kinds of lambs and things for sacrifice. But a traveler came to town and, one, and he said, well, instead of killing one of my lambs, I'm going to go take the poor man's lamb. And he did. And when the prophet told the story to King David, remember King David's reaction? He was angry. He said, bring that person here. How can he do such a thing? And you remember what the prophet said? prophet looked at him and said, You are the man. David, in his rush to judge a story about someone he didn't even know, was blind to the law in his own eye. He was blind to the sin in his own life. And that's how God was pointing it out to him. David needed to take a look in the mirror. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Are you looking at your Bible? Are you listening? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? 
Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there's the log in your own eye? So someone might have a sin in their life and it might be a piece of sawdust, might be a little speck, a little eyelash. But it's, but it's there, it's wrong, it needs to come out. But you got something in your eye. In fact, maybe something even greater. It is greater because you hadn't dealt with sin in your own life. So take a look in the mirror. What would that mean? It might mean to take a look in the mirror of God's Word. It might mean to go talk to a Christian friend. You've got concerns about a brother in Christ or someone you know that you work with that's a lost person. You want to go talk to them about something in their life. Well, first, maybe to slow down the lust of judgment and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe you need to get alone before the Word of God. So God, is there anything in my life first that I need to be sure that I'm not holding on to? And I've seen things rightly where I'm thinking about this the right way. Maybe a trusted, mature Christian friend might need to talk to about this. So take a look in the mirror. Secondly, take the log out of your eye. Take the log out of your eye, he says in verse 5. I remember, it's been a few years ago, Makai, our second oldest son, he was, uh, he was at home. We come back home to church one Sunday night. We were living in Kansas City. And, and he was sitting at the table and he said, God raised him a nose. He's just a little fellow, about four years old. God raised him a nose. God raised him a nose. I said, what? God raised him my nose. Well, I ain't heard that before. And he couldn't get it out. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking, how did you get the raising in your nose? He's crying. I got crazy. I said, well, lay down on the couch and see if I can get that thing out. So I pinned him down on the couch. He's like, no, no, no. And I thought, well, I got some tweezers somewhere. And I got my tweezers out of my little shaving kit bag and got him down. And I pinned down his legs because he's no, no. And I finally got his head still. I got that tweezers. And I got that, got it up his nose just a little bit. I was afraid it was going to hurt him, you know. I was going to go to the hospital and hurt him. Spent money on that. <laughs> he's, he's worth a lot. I don't know about a person who is on this season. So I got that tweezers and I went in there. Boom, I got that thing out. I said, Your daddy is a surgeon. <laughs> now just imagine if I was trying to get something out of his nose and I had, I was over doing this at the same time. I think Makai, hold still. So I got something in my eye right here, but you hold still, you know? Well, that would that make you panic even more. No, and as somebody said about this passage of Scripture, backsliders make very careless eye surgeons. You don't want somebody working on you that can't see clearly. And that's what the passage of Scripture is teaching here. You don't want somebody trying to take something out of your eye and they can't even see clearly themselves where it's at. Right? God says not to do it. He says here in verse 5, now let's, let's look at the rest of it. Look at your Bible in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly. Right? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so first of all, take a little evaluation. So the thrust of the passage of Scripture is really, these verses are really all the same. Take a look in the mirror. Take, take a look at yourself first before you start rushing to say something to somebody else about a sin in their life. Now, there could be a lot of things that motivates us to want to rush to judgment before we move on. You know, sometimes we judge unjustly, as one commentator said. Uh, and really, our rush to judgment is 
disguised as religious piety of concern. Oh, we're just concerned about you, so I want to talk to you about this. When really what's going on is we have hatred and revenge on our mind for something that person did to us. Now we're just ready to pounce on them for something that we see in their life. Some of us have a running list of things in our minds about somebody we're put out with. We're just waiting for the opportunity to go point that out to them reading gospel about it. Sometimes our unjust judgment is based on gossip. All, all we've heard somebody say something about somebody else and now we're upset at that person based on something somebody came and told us. They jaded us, first of all, because of their sinful gossip and slander. And now, we've got it in our minds that, well, they must be right. After all, I don't really like that person anyway. This is kind of what I thought anyhow. And now we've made this judgment, at least in our minds, and if we're not careful, we may rush to talk to them about something and give them the impression that we've already been judged and jury before we even heard their side of the story. How many times do people make judgments on people based on just hearing one side of the story? Sometimes there's unjust judges and it leads to unbiblical procedures. We come to a conclusion about something or somebody and we just want to we just want to write them off. Or we want to talk about it to somebody else and bring other people involved. And what's the Bible say to do about that in Matthew chapter 18? Go to them one-on-one -on -one first. Then take somebody else with you, right? We want, to, we want to bypass the process and bring other people into the circle before we've done things biblically. Or we want to rush to judge somebody. Maybe in a rightly, maybe we have we figured these things out, we've talked through it, prayed through it. But our goal is not restoration. Our goal is not for that sinner to repent, that brother in Christ to turn from our sin. Our goal is really, really just to rub, rub them down in the mud they're already in. Now, if, we're, if, we're, if we were going to exercise church discipline on someone, our, our goal is not to, to beat them up. Our goal is to help them see that how sinful this is so that they'll repent of their sin. Wow, these people love me enough that they're willing to come to me and talk to me about this. And even willing to do, take the next step in hard measure of taking me off the church road because of my unrepentant sin. That isn't always the way it goes. <laughs> That's not always going to be the response. Oh, those Christians are just a bunch of judges. They think they're better than I am. Sometimes you just do things the, the best way you know how, the most biblical way you have, you know how, and still people are going to come back and say, you're a hypocrite, you're judges, you're, you're this, this, that, this, this church. And you're doing things the best way you know how, according to Scripture. You can't control people's response, but you can do what Scripture says. So first, take a look at yourself. Secondly, approach others with discernment. Approach others with discernment. So we look at verse 6. And verse 6 is tricky. Someone preach a totally different sermon on it. And the more I look at it, I feel like it goes with what Jesus was saying here. And so I would say the second point of the message would be approach others with discernment. Don't judge a book by its cover. You've heard that before, but by its content. Don't judge a book by its cover, but by its content. J.C. Ryland's book on holiness again, he say, says about the sun, even the sun has spots. You can find spots on the sun if you were looking a certain way in a safe way. But the sun still shines brightly when we feel its heat and we benefit from it. The point he's getting at is this, and I'll let him just say to himself, you must not hastily conclude that a man has no grace merely because you see in him some corruption. 
There are spots on the sun, yet the sun shines brightly and lights the whole world. So let us be quick to see grace and more slow to see imperfections. We all want to have imperfections in our lives. We need to be sure we examine a person's content a little bit closer before we rush to judgment. But we also need to be careful that if we're familiar with the content of a person's life, we need to be careful about going to them at all. Because we may be wasting our time. We may be casting pearls before swine. They may not be in a place where they're ready to receive the truth of God's Word. And they're just going to trample all over it. And so, let's look at verse 6. For just a few moments, he mentions dogs and pigs again. There are people, Jesus says, who are dogs and pigs, and you need to know who they are. That means you need to make a judgment upon these people. Dogs in the Scripture are not these pets that you would have in your home, but dogs that not roam around and bite you if you got close to them. Dogs were thrown unholy food in Exodus chapter. 322, we see that. Foods that are considered unclean were say you can't eat those foods but throw them to the dogs. Pigs that are mentioned here in this passage of Scripture were considered unclean. You weren't allowed to be around them. So there are certain people that they were to not even approach in judgment and use discernment that person was like that. So what's this mean? When you think about going and talking to somebody about a sin in their life, first of all, you may need to take inventory of your own life. You need to repent of that sin, if there's sin that God shows you. You also need to consider, what's your history with this person? What's the content of this person's life? Is this person uh, somebody that I have a history with that when I've tried to talk to them before about something, they just, they just put their fingers in their ears? Or is this person just really immature? They're extremely immature and they, they will not receive this. Is this the kind of person that's going to take what I'm about to say, this truth, this treasure that I'm about to share with you in the gospel? They're just going to trample all over it. They're going to mock it. They're going to make fun of it. Now, I say consider your history about somebody before you talk to them because sometimes you may not know somebody's history. Everything's been going fine between the two of you in your, in your interactions or limited interactions. But then you go and talk to them about something, you hit the wrong button, and all of a sudden you find out. That was a dog and pig-like reaction that I got. That was an unchrist-like response. I'll think twice before I go and talk to that person about a sin in their life when I'm trying to help them out. This is what Jesus is getting at here. If you know somebody's a dog or a pig, they have characteristics that are unchrist-like. And, and that's probably going to be their response, then don't waste your time. Isn't that what He's saying? You've seen or heard about signs in national parks that say don't feed the bears. Well, it could be that if you feed the bears, you might feed them the wrong thing. What's the bears going to do? They don't like it. D.A. Carson says they may just turn on you or trample over what you give them. When we were in uh, Sarajevo, we've been there three summers in Rome and Bosnia. There are wild dogs in the city. These dogs are left over from the war. When the war came, many people died and, and their dogs were left. The dogs were left to themselves. And so their dogs were going to run in packs. One day I got up early and was running. I heard the year before that someone had got bitten one morning early while walking along the street and a pack of dogs attacked him. He had to go get a rabies shot. So here I was running early one morning thinking about that. And I was running along and all of a sudden a pack of dogs jumped up right beside me. And I mean just hairs on the back of my head stood up high. 
Now, suppose those pack of dogs turned on me and wanted to attack me, and I thought, well, they're hungry and had time to think. So I took off my waiting ring, and I said, here you go. Well, they might pause for a moment and pounce on that, but as soon as those dogs figured out that that wasn't neat, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to stomp all over that. They're going to spit that out of the gut in their mouth, and they're going to turn on me. And here's the point. It's not about me. It's about what's being thrown to them. What's being thrown in the passage of Scripture here to dogs and pigs? Jesus says not throw. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What is, what is holy? What, is, what are those pearls being thrown down? Well, those are as treasure. When you read about pearls in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 13, verse 46... The kingdom of God is referred to as a is like is like a pearl of great price. And it seems to me that what Jesus is saying here is you don't take this valuable treasure of the gospel when you know that someone is going to just they're just going to trample all over. They're not going to like what you got to hear. You notice you're not judging a book by its cover here. You're not you're not looking at someone and saying, "Oh, I can tell. I don't know this person, but I can tell that they wouldn't want to hear the gospel." No, don't think that. We ought to share Christ with everybody we come in contact with, right? No matter what they look like, no matter what their appearance is. Otherwise, we are we are worse than, than hypocrites. You share the gospel with everybody. But if you know someone, you, you've had time to examine the content of their life, you've had some experience with them, and you know they're just going to mock and ridicule the precious treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to blaspheme, especially... It's wise to get along with somebody if you're going to talk to someone who might be like that, right? Not in front of their friends where they've got an audience now. But otherwise, if they're that kind of person, they're going to come and they're just going to, they're just, you're just wasting your time. You're going to, they're going to trample over precious truth, the precious truth of the gospel. So there's a, there's a balancing thing here that Jesus gives us in verse 6. Approach others with discernment. Jesus says Paul says in Philemon chapter 3, verse 2, look out for the dogs. Paul be, Paul's judging someone. And he should be. He says there are dogs out there. The dogs he's talking about are false teachers. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about false teachers. He's saying they're dogs. Don't give them an opportunity to blaspheme the gospel. Go to those who that you discern are receptive. Reminded of the passage of Scripture that Eric read this morning, or Caleb read this morning for us in Psalm chapter 22, is a prophecy about Jesus. That Jesus was given to the dogs and He is precious. It says in Psalm 22 verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. We praise God for this truth, this gospel. That our God comes to earth and He's surrounded by the dogs. He's given to the, the, this precious truth, this pearl of the kingdom who is embodied in Jesus Christ is, is, is given to the dogs who are us as well. We're to take that and share it with everybody, but we're not to allow it to be maligned and trampled. Now one of the things I want to close with and remind you of in this passage of Scripture is we consider what this teaches us about how to live. But also it teaches us what about God is this is we're not God. We're not the ultimate judge, right? We're not to use that understanding 
to, to as, a, as an excuse not to ever make critical judgments or, or exercise discipline as a church family or to approach someone about sin in their life, though. That's a cop-out. But we are to be reminded of our rightful place and God's rightful place, the ultimate judge. This passage of Scripture reminds us that only God knows all sides of the story. Only God knows motives and hearts. This is, this is the God who is the judge. Jesus who's speaking these words. Jesus came to show us who God is because He's God. And when you see the way you see Jesus deal with people in the Bible and read about Him, you're reminded this, this, this God is holy. He is the holy, holy, holy judge. There's no log in His eye. Our God sees clearly. Abraham cried out to God about the cities of Sodom and Lord. He said, Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And the answer is yes. He will always render a just verdict. He will always do what's right. We may not. So we need to slow down our rush to judgment. And go before the judge of all the earth and ask him, God, show me, Lord, is anything in me first before I go to someone else? Or is this the kind of person I should even approach? Being reminded that this judge of all the earth has looked upon us who, who sees clearly he always does the right thing. And this is God's judgment of you. You may say, don't judge me. God knows my heart. How many times do you hear people say that? God knows my heart. And maybe they got some blatant sin in their life, but they're saying, well, but God knows my heart. That's the problem. God knows your heart. And your heart's full of sin, just like mine is, before Christ cleansed it. And He sees it. He's a judge who sees clearly. There's no log in His eye. He's not, he's not mischaracterizing you. He sees you alright. And that should concern you. God, oh, you're not my judge. God's my judge. God knows my heart. Well, let that cause you to tremble in fear. He is your judge. He knows your heart. And your heart's bad. But the good news is, if you turn from your sin and place all your trust in Jesus, then the one who has no log in his eye, who sees clearly, will look at you and declare you forgiven and as right with him as his son is. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a glorious exchange? As you understand, no, I'm not right with God. I need to quit talking out about my whole life and saying, well, I'm not as bad as somebody else. It doesn't matter. There's not a person in this room who should not split hell wide open right now. But the good news of the Gospels and the judge of all the earth came to, came to the earth and took our judgment Himself. And He died on the cross. And He paid the price for our sins. And He rose again three days later. The Bible says, as we explained in Bible school this week, some of the kids in classes I went into, you put all your trust in Him. You rely completely and totally on Him like Tim was sharing from Ephesians chapter 2. You don't trust in your good works. You don't trust in your church membership. You don't trust in maybe the fact in your mind that you're not as bad as anybody else. Because that, 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 that won't fly on judgment day. The God who has no law in His eye will look upon you as separated from Him. He'll say, oh, you said, I've got all this good in my life. The God who has no law in His eye who sees clearly says, I see this sin and I hate it. One sin got Adam and Eve kicked down to the Garden of Eden. One, they ate a bite of fruit, right? 
And all fellowships cut off. You think you're going to fare any better? Put all your trust in Christ. So the only thing that's going to count on Judgment Day is that you put all trust in Jesus just like I put all my trust in this seat and this bench. I'm going to put my feet up here so I'm not even putting my feet on the floor. There's no part of me. If I'm going to fall down, it's going to be the bench's fault. I'm putting all my trust in it to hold me up. That's what we're supposed to do in relation to being saved. Saved from the guilty of sin. We're putting all our weight, all our hope, all our trust in the judge of the earth who took our judgment for us. That's the gospel. Anything else is not. Anything else is a false gospel. And it's being taught by dogs and pigs. Or at least those who have a very shallow understanding of what good news really is. Watch out for them. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Not only will He forgive you, will He declare you forgiven and see you as right as His own Son, but He will adopt you into His family. Amen? It's not just justification. It's adoption. It's a relationship with God. It's not just fire insurance not going to hell. It's a relationship with God now. And there's assurance of this great salvation. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Who will bring a charge against God's elect before the judge of all the earth? Oh, there's many people will. There's people standing in line to accuse you, namely Satan himself. Is the accuser of the brethren trying to make you feel this point that you're unworthy of certain who you are and I am too? There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, who can bring a charge against God's elect? In other words, who can bring a successful charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge to the judge of all the earth against those who have been declared just in God's sight that He will glorify? Who can do it? Who can successfully do that? And the answer is no one. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And so what we're being taught here in Matthew chapter 7 is be like the one you say you're following. Humbly walk, walk before Him. And when you see the sins in others, remember, you're not the judge of all the earth. You have a calling, a responsibility. It is unloving and unbiblical not to ever approach someone about sin in their life. If God has prompted you or prompted us in the church, it's not the right thing not to do that. So as you do so, reflect the Gospel in your dealings with others. That's the judgment we should all care about. Men are going to judge us, folks. And they're going to criticize us. It's not fun, is it? People turn you over in their minds and they come and talk to you about it. And maybe they rush to conclusions or whatever. But the only judgment that ultimately matters is the judgment of God. So we need to preach the Gospel to ourselves. That when God looks upon those who are right with Christ, he looks upon them and He says, I believe this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How can you not say that? That's the only thing that matters. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, oh, how we long as believers that uh, Lord, that you would help people rejoice in the truth of the gospel that they just wouldn't hear these words and it'd just be like, oh, I've heard that before, that's nice, but God, that they, you would 
He would impact and infect their hearts and they would love this. They would just be rejoicing in God. He would, would bring them out of a pit of despair or sadness or grief and sustain them, Lord. Sustain with the gospel, sustain sad and grieving hearts and upset people this morning who are believers. Because this gospel is nothing like it. It never changes. It's always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, Lord, would you grant, would you please grant affections for Jesus this morning? That we would love Him, we would love what He's done. And through that, Lord, knowing how the judge of all the earth sees us, that, that it would slow us down in our rush to judge others. And it would give us a wise discernment about approaching others about sin in their life. Whether we should even do so or not for some. God, help us not to be hypocrites. The church has a horrible reputation. The church, not just this local church. The church has a horrible reputation among the lost. That we're just pointing out everybody's sins. And sometimes, it's, sometimes that, that, that has characterized the church, God. Forgive us. Help us to be like the judge of all the earth who walked upon this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and showed us. He showed us exactly how to live among the world. And Father, I pray for those who are here who have not repented and trusted in Jesus. I pray that today would be their day of salvation, the day that You would call them and grant them repentance and faith. That they would see for the first time how ugly their sin is and how much they are loved by You. And they would turn from their sin and begin to follow Jesus. Only You can grant that. We ask that You would. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand this morning and sing together this song. God is so, so good. Let's stand together and sing. If you want to come and pray as we're singing, or if you would like to come and let me talk with you or counsel with you during this time, I'd love to do that as well. But otherwise, let's, let's praise our God together. Yes.
is the gospel. It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.